Okay. Um, first, big thanks to the worship team. Sounds self-serving since I was up there tonight, but um, yeah, uh, they work super hard. Um, take time out of their schedule throughout the week to come and do that for us. So, um, and I love our worship. I think we have um, amazing worship. So, big thanks to them. Um, second, um, I know I said this last week, and I'm not trying to form a pattern, but tonight I'm going to get preachy again. Um, and it's last time I think it was because I was feeling preachy. Tonight I blame the passage. There's not like if I were to try and make this passage deep and theological, I feel like we would miss the point. So I got nothing left but to preach to it. So that's what we're going to do. And I I was reading this like deep um, this academic sociological text this week, and I read about this phenomenon whereby when a preacher is preaching real good, people say amen back to them. I swear it's a thing. I read it. So um, you know, every once in a while. It's okay to encourage me. You know, I'm, I'm glad I got a thick skin because sometimes... There we go. There it is. That's what I'm looking for. All right. Because I took so long, I'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing where we've been. I don't know if you've noticed. I like to review. I like to talk about where we've been when we're in a study so that we can be fresh. We have a lot of people that miss week to week, and we're not the kind of church that beats people over the head for that. You know, we're, um, we know everybody's got lives, and we record it, and we get a lot of people downloading and listening to it. Um, on the app, so that's cool, and so we always make sure that um, you know we don't beat anybody up for not coming, but I like to review, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, you know where we've been, but because I took up so much time with our announcement, and because I think I might preach for a while, I'm going to slow down on our, on our uh, review this week, but we're in the Sermon on the Mount, we're studying Jesus' discourses, um, and so we've been talking about heart issues, we've been talking about um, the stuff under the surface. We've been talking about the, the gospel going down where the law and the commandments can't go. We've hit it from a lot of different angles. Um, last week we talked about the, the speck and the plank and judging and, and how we come to grips with our own stuff and how that um, confronts us with the power of the gospel. And then we go to somebody else completely differently when we want to talk about their issues. But tonight we're going to do a passage that, frankly, I have been dreading. Um, you can see my sermon title, Living in the Bubbles. I'm going to explain that. I'm going to explain that later. You don't like it. I promise. Okay. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. I've been dreading this passage because I don't generally like what anybody on any side of the argument does with this passage. We have a tendency to abuse this. I, I've, I've seen people take this passage and, and turn a relationship with God into a vending machine. Like they, you drop in the quarter, you get whatever you want. Um, and that makes me uncomfortable. I've seen a lot of people hurt and disappointed and, and a lot of manipulation done with this verse, which scares me. But on the other side, I don't necessarily like, um, you know, the other side feels like a lot of justification uh, and I feel like they got to do some ugly stuff with this verse to get away from it. And so, um, so let's look a little bit deeper. One, the first side, generally um, faith movement type stuff. A lot of people call it name it and claim it. I was talking with Dale last week. He called it blab it and grab it, which I thought was awesome. So that's stuck in my head forever. Um, and they'll usually do something with the, with the verb tense of the Greek there, and they'll say this really means ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. 
and they use this to, they'll, they'll match this with other verses, like if you have a, a faith like a mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain, it'll be cast into the sea, or uh, if you ask without doubting, you'll have what you want. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And they pile all this together and come up with a theology whereby you can have whatever you want. And you can basically just pick what you want. And the verse makes it sound like we can do that, but I'll be honest, I was in this camp for a long time, and the problem I have is, I, is, is what it always feels like to me, and this is just a gut level thing, it feels like people are bullying God. Like, They'll say, your word says, so you have to. And I'm always like, whoa, did you just say that? Did you just tell God you have to? Like, that's so terrifying. And so, um, so I get nervous about that interpretation. But the other side, you know, I feel like people who say, well, this passage is absolutely true. As long as you align your will perfectly with the will of God, then anything you ask will be done because you're asking according to his will. Or they'll say, this, 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 passage promises an answer but not necessarily the answer you want like in, you know or they'll um, say you know with that verse in psalms if you truly delight yourself in the lord it means you're only going to ask for things that he wants and all those things i think are true but what i usually feel like someone's doing is trying to talk me out of this passage Has anybody felt like like somebody's trying to find a way to go well yeah but you can't don't don't dig too deep in this passage because you have to and so we get stuck in the tension i don't really like either side um, so what I'm going to do is we're going to um, we're going to read a quote by C.S. Lewis. We're going to start with that. This is one that anytime I I run into one of these passages that has this seriously dualistic interpretation, where you got one side that takes it one way, another side that takes it completely the other way, and nobody seems to sit in the middle. I like to read this passage from C.S. Lewis. This is always in my head. We're going to read that, and then I think we're just going to go kind of expositionally. Like I don't do this very often. We're just going to go verse by verse. I just kind of exposit this passage um, and, and kind of work through it. So here's C.S. Lewis's quote. We're going to do this so it's fresh in our head, and then we're going to get started. He, the devil, let's put it up there, sorry. He, the devil, always sends errors into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. He relies on your extra, extra dislike for the one to draw you gradually into the opposite one. But do not let us be fooled. We have to keep our eyes on the goal and go straight through between both errors. We have no other concern with them, with either than them, with either of them. So this is our hope. We're not going to allow our distaste for one, so we're not going to allow our distaste for the overly theological, you have to align your will with God to drag us into blab it and grab it, but we're not going to let our distaste for blab it and grab it to make us ignore this passage. We're going to find the middle somewhere. And so, we're just going to exegete this. We're going to go through little by little and just kind of pull out of it. We're going to start with this. Now, do not let, or do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearl before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Now, this is interesting because most, I'm going to give you, you can't hardly read it, but most, this is my study Bible on my computer, just now you've seen it. Um, most Bibles stick this with the pericope above. So you see the judging passage, judging others, that seven, six up there, do not give what is holy to the dogs. When I was studying that passage, if you got your Bibles, pull it up. If you got your phone, whatever. Uh, see where it sticks it. See, and, and usually they put it with the judging. And I studied that and I couldn't find any possible way to make that verse make sense in the judging passage. And if you remember, none of the little... 
breakdown or separations or breakdowns are in the original, and the original is just straight through. And so I studied it in the context of the next pericope, asking it will be given, and I really liked what I found. So let's look at the verse again, and then we'll go through it. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearl before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn and tear you into pieces. So what is Jesus talking about in the rest of this passage, in the rest of this pericope? He's talking about our needs, our wants, our desires, our requests, the things that, like the cries of our heart, ask, seek, knock. He's talking about the things that we really want, the things we're really looking for. How many of you got my text last week when we were coming up Monday night to pray? Anybody get that text saying, hey, we're going to be up here praying? Anybody stop and go like, oh man, what would I ask for? Anybody do that? Like, if this is, if they're just praying, like, you know, it's not like a, somebody in the hospital, but just, what's on your heart? What do you want to pray for? Does anybody like have to think like, man, what do I want somebody to pray for? Like, I don't want it to be petty. Like, uh, yeah, whatever. So that's what he's saying. Like, whatever that thing is that you would ask for, seek, knock, you'd ask and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. What is that thing? Okay. Once you have that in your head, then read this passage. Do not give what is holy to the dogs or cast them before swine. I think what he's saying is watch where you go to get your needs met. Check where you go with those desires, with those passions. Be super careful with where you go to get satisfied. I'm going to unpack this and man, it's going to be fun. Okay, so this is my point. This is my first point. Um, and he says, you know, dogs and pigs, but I've got pet dogs and I've even got a pet pig and she's kind of sweet. So I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm just going to say elsewhere. Elsewhere is the other place, the place other than God. Okay? And we turn to all kinds of places other than God to get our needs met don't we? We have a need for security. That's a good thing. And so we turn to our bank accounts, right? I've got to have so much bank account. I've got to have so much money. I've got to have, I've got to have a job that pays so much. And, and we turn elsewhere to get that needs met. We have, we have a, a need for, for connection, for relationship, for acceptance. And so we bail on authenticity because maybe they won't accept me if I act like me and we conform to an image rather than taking our true self to God. We have a need for peace. We, we want peace, and so we turn to all kinds of numbing activities, whether it's gaming or whether it's social media or whether it's shopping or whether it's too much alcohol, whether it's porn, whatever, whatever it is, we turn to something other than God with this need in us that's real. We turn elsewhere. When I was talking to Esther about this, when I was kind of unfolding this and seeing if if she thought that that verse would fit in this pericope, she said, you should tell them about when we first got married. And um, <laughs> here's the thing. Most of my self-deprecating humor is actually Esther saying, you should tell them about that time you did this. Like it, it actually comes from her. But yeah, when we first got married, I was super busy. We, were, we, were, we had helped plant a church and I was leading worship in that youth group. And, and we were, uh, I was on the altar team and Esther was on the worship team. I was working in the kids ministry. We, even Wednesdays, we drove down to the juvenile detention center and, me and the pastor, and we prayed with kids at the juvenile detention center and super busy and I wasn't home a lot and Esther was lonely. And she would tell me, you know, babe, I, I'm lonely. Like, I feel like I need to, a friend or I need someone to hang out with. I was like, why would you need a friend? You got me. 
Like, how could you want more than this? Like, why would you need anything else when you got me? You know, and, and she was like, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to work. And I was like, babe, we're married now. We're one. You got everything you need right here. Like, and, and it reminded me of, I don't know if you guys remember Hannah's story in the Old Testament before she had Samuel when she was crying out to God for a son and her husband was getting tired of seeing her depressed. And so he came to her and, and she was upset she didn't have a son. He goes, am I not better than 10 sons? Like, <laughs> I can like hear myself in that. And uh, I've grown up a lot since that. So give me grace. Um, so Jesus is warning us not to take these holy things, these desires, these these passions, these wants to the dogs. And then he turns around saying, if you, if you have those, if you have those things in you, those desires, that fire, bring it to God. And if we don't, we wind up in a real dangerous situation. I used to lead worship for a Celebrate Recovery group. I love 10, 12 step, 10, 12, whatever, however many step, 12 step programs. Um, because they got like little acronyms for everything on the planet. And one of them's last. Like never let yourself get too lonely, angry, sad, or tired. If you ever allow yourself to get into that desperate condition, that lonely condition, that angry condition, that sad condition, that tired condition, anything can happen. That's when you'll start to drink again. And it made me think of Esau. We're going to talk a little bit about Esau in the Old Testament because um, he's got probably the worst case of this I've ever seen. Now, if you don't know the story very well, Jacob and Esau are twins. And in that culture, the oldest son got everything. At the very minimum, he got a double portion of the inheritance. So he would get, they would like, if there was two of you, it split into thirds. He would get two thirds. The other son would get one third. But sometimes the oldest son got everything. And the other sons just got to be basically like employees. So firstborn is a huge deal. And so second is pretty typical for for later born children to be envious of the firstborn. Now imagine that situation already, but you're the second born by like three seconds. Like you've shared birthdays. You've always been the same age. You've always done everything, you know, at the same time because you're literally the same age. And he gets at least a double portion of dad's inheritance because he made it out three seconds earlier. So this is a lot of tension in this relationship, right? And Jacob um, took advantage of it. And we're going to talk about that. So, Turn your giant overhead Bible to the next passage. Here we go. To Genesis 25. (laughs) Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name became Edom, which means red. Because Jacob said, Sell me your birthright. Which right there, can you imagine if if you were named for your mistakes in the past, like you've made one bad mistake and from then on you just had to wear that as your name. That would be terrible. But that has nothing to do with my point. That's for free. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm going to die. So what is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, whoops, let me roll on. Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gives Esau bread and a stew of lentils. And then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So some of us read this passage, pretty famous passage, and we, and we get angry with, with Jacob. We're like, you know, what a jerk. He like found his brother in a weak state and totally took advantage of it. Some of us spite Esau and we're like, who would give up something so precious for a bowl of beans? Lentils. <laughs> like a good like beef stew, like maybe. But lentils. 
But you know what could have changed this whole story? This is something crazy. This is what my brain does with stuff like that. You know what could have made this whole story different? A sack lunch. <laughs> like pack a lunch. Like this, this isn't that, that Esau hated his birthright. At the end of the day, this isn't that, that he wanted to lose anything. He allowed himself to get too hungry. So he's sitting here in a desperate situation, desperately hungry, and he makes himself vulnerable. He's vulnerable because of his hunger and sold his birthright because he allowed himself to fall into a desperate state. And I'd love to click my tongue at Esau, but how many of us have ever gotten so lonely that we turn to a relationship that we know is not good to us? It's not good for us. How many of us have ever allowed ourselves to get so, uh, you know, so dissatisfied that we'll rack up tons of debt trying to feed a hunger that only God can feed? And a lot of times these things will have a good start. Like we'll exercise and we'll, you know, I want to get healthy and we'll exercise, but suddenly we have this hunger for a body image because we're, we're so insecure. And rather than go to God for our security, we wind up doing all kinds of unhealthy things. We allow ourselves to get so desperate, like Esau, that we would crawl in and trade our birthright for beans. I'd love to pick on Esau, but I've done it. I've done it. I've allowed myself to get into such terrible situations because I'm not going to God to fill me and to satisfy me. And the enemy comes in and takes advantage of that hunger. Years later in this story, God comes to Moses. Moses is on the backside of the wilderness and God comes and says, I want you to set my people free and blah, blah. And Moses says, who are you? And he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By all rights in that culture, it should have been, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Doesn't that sound weird in your head? That's what it was supposed to be. And all of destiny has changed because Esau let himself get too hungry. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you into pieces. Don't let your desires, your hungers, go elsewhere. So, that's only the first verse. We've got to move on or I'll never finish. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, I'm not going to unwind all the tension between those two things. I'm just going to make some subtle kind of observations that Jesus kind of lays out here that sometimes we miss. First is this word Father. And Jesus has done this twice in this sermon now. He did it in the in the Lord's Prayer. Now He does it again. And And... Um, sometimes we read it, we're so used to Father, Son, and Spirit, we're so used to the Trinity that we don't realize how controversial this would have been at the day because this is a culture who, um, we talk about this quite a bit when we do our Yahweh prayer, 
that didn't even write the vowels in God's name. They needed just enough so people would know who they're talking about, but they felt that might be taking his name in vain if they, if they wrote it sloppy. And then the other thing they would do, once they did write God's name, even in the abbreviated form, the scribes would break that, that quill and throw it away and get a new one. They figured that quill has just done the best thing it will ever do. It wrote the name of God. How would you risk a quill writing something about a, you know, a mundane thing that happens after you just wrote the name of God? So that quill was done. It will never do better than it did. And they would throw it away. So these are people that really value the name of God. These are people where formality is very important. And Jesus keeps referring to him as father. Like keep say, using this word when you go to God, say father. God is like a father. Which, like which one of you? And, and so there's something going on here that Jesus is doing. And I have a feeling it drove the religious professionals crazy. I have a feeling that they hated God being talked about so casually. And we don't really, it'd be like seriously, like if you were listening to somebody pray and they were like, God, bro, man, dude. And we'd be like, whoa, you're talking to God. That didn't feel right. But that's kind of what would have happened. It would have been for Jesus to speak so casually of God. Um, and I think the common people would have loved it. I think there was something going on there. But the other thing is, uh, and this is the bigger issue, and this is one of the reasons I didn't, I didn't want to get super theological with this passage, was because Jesus is using a very simple metaphor. I think the simplicity of a fatherly relationship, the simplicity of, of kids, of him talking about kids, like he's not offering us a big, deep, theological picture. He's saying, kids ask for things. And which one of you, when your kids ask for things, doesn't give him good stuff? The picture I came up with was Obi. Obadiah is... I was going to give a number, but I don't know what number he is. He's one of my kids. And Obadiah is almost... He's two and a half, almost three. Coming up on three, I think, in August. Esther told me that earlier. I don't know what his birthday is. But um, he, uh, he's, two, he's at that age where he is the master, absolute icon of asking, seeking, and knocking. There is no one on the planet who can ask, seek, and knock like Obi. Like he's got this thing where whenever you're leaving now, whenever you're going anywhere, he goes, where are you going? And I'll go, I've I'm, I'm, got to run to church. Okay, when you come home, bring me a tweet. Tweet is what he means treat. He calls it a tweet. And I always want to get on Twitter and And so bring me a treat. And he doesn't even hesitate. Like he doesn't even think about it. Like there's no have I earned a tweet? Have I you know, am I worthy of a tweet? Am I you know, if I had a good day, you know, do I have to do something to get this tweet? It's just dad's leaving. Bring me a tweet when you come home. Like no second thoughts. I, uh, I'm not a super organized person, but my backpack is. It's like my one little handle. It's like my one little beachhead against the chaos of life is my backpack, believe it or not. And it's got a million pockets, and I have the things in every pocket, and I know what goes in every pocket. And, I, and every time I leave, because when I work, I just like turn it upside down and dump it and spread everything everywhere so that I can work. But then when I'm done, it just, and it's like watching a transformer turn from a car into a humanoid thing. Nate's the only one that's going to get that one. And it's, you know, it's, and, it, and, it all, and it all goes exactly in there. And what's that? 
You want to see that? Yeah, it is amazing. Ask, ask Esther. It is cool. Like, I know exactly where. And when you need something, I know exactly what pocket to go through. And I'm like, it's like a, it's a purse. I'm going to be honest. It's a purse. I wish I was manly enough to say it was a backpack. I got fingernail clippers in there. Like, you know how women have everything you could ever need? I got a little mini first aid kit. I could sew, I got a little sewing kit. If you, something tears, I can sew it. I'm, my backpack is like, it's got everything. And, what's that? Yeah, I could probably get a kitchen sink in there. And Obi loves nothing more in life than to go, what's in this pocket? What's in this pocket? What's in this pocket? And, he, and it's literally once it's empty, he's like, I'm bored, and just walks away with a pile of chaos. But when it comes to seeking, he never leaves one pocket unexplored. He's the master of seeking. And he knocks. And he never stops knocking. He's like, and you can always tell he's kind of a clumsy knocker. He'll like half kick the door and fall into it while he's, you always know when it's him. But he, he's been my shadow for about the last year. He just follows me everywhere, does everything. Everything I do on the farm anywhere, he's just right by my side and asking questions and talking. And he loves going to the bathroom with me, which is outrageous because that's my quiet time. Like, and, and I'll go in there and the door's shut and he'll, Dad, Dad. And he'll actually say, Dad, you forgot to let me in. He'll actually say that. Dad, you forgot to let me in. <clears throat> and I will, um, I'll go in to take a shower and he'll just knock and knock and I can hear him over the shower. And so I'll go to the door and I'll even go, come on in. Ah, like trying to communicate. Like, I did not want you in here. And he didn't even hear that. He's like, boy, you forgot to let me in. And he'll walk right in and he'll just sit outside the shower while I'm showering. And when we shower, we use, like when we bathe the kids, we use it as our teach the body parts time. So when we clean, clean the shoulder, clean the elbow, get the armpit, blah, blah. And he'll sit outside the shower and go, did you clean your armpit? Did you clean your elbow? Yes, son, I cleaned my elbow. Did you clean your knees? Yes, son, I cleaned my knees. Did you clean your hiney? Yes, son, I cleaned my hiney. Like, he'll go through the list. Nobody can knock like Obi. And I think when Jesus breaks this down, that's what he's drawing us to. He uses the image of a father and a child. He doesn't use deep theological concepts. He doesn't use, you know, and when it comes to children, there's no, there's none of this, what do I deserve? What am I worthy of? What am I? It's just asking. It's just seeking. It's just knocking. And what I love more is where he, where he goes with this metaphor. Because I think he seems to be stressing something totally different than us. We have a tendency to focus on the everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks will be open. Like that's the part we hang on to. What does it mean when he says that? What does it mean? And that's the part we get drawn to. Everything else we can handle, that's the one we really want to hone in on. And Jesus seems to skip that part. He says, if then... Am I in the same place? No. There we go. It's like, mine has lines on it. If then, being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who find Him? Jesus seems more focused on the goodness of the giver than the guarantee of the gift. I had to do one of those preacher things where they put everything... He's more consumed with the goodness of the giver than the guarantee of the gift. This seems to be the revelation. This seems to be what he's honing in on. Is is because he says, "Ask, seek, knock." Because I mean, who who if if 
your kid asks you for something, would give him something bad. If your kid asked for bread, would give him a stone. Like, that seems to be what Jesus is trying to drive home. Is he's, he's, it's like he's not trying to convince the crowd that they'll get an answer. He's trying to convince the crowd that God is good. Does that make sense? Like, it's like he's saying, he's like, ask, seek, and knock. Because, I mean, who, who gives a bad gift to their kid? Like, and, and so he's, he's drawing us into the nature of God more than anything like that. I feel like he's concerned with the goodness of the giver more than the guarantee of the gift. We struggle with this because we all think we believe God is good. Like that's something we say all the time, right? God is good. And all the time. Right, we say it all the time. It's just part of the nature of God. We assume we know this. But I'm not so sure how many of us avoid anything convicting because we're afraid that God's going to hurt us with it. Like we're afraid that if we, if we allow someone to talk about some issue in our life or something in our life that somehow we're going to come out worse for it. Like it's like we dodge conviction because we don't trust the giver to be good. Like I think if we knew God was good... If we knew that in our guts, how much different would we take conviction? If the Holy Spirit's picking on us, doesn't it seem like if we really trusted this is coming from a good place, we might go, okay, whatever this thing is that God's attacking me on, it's got to be good. If the Holy Spirit's picking on me, then it must be good for me to lean into this. It must be good for me. How many of us look at God's commands and we're like, oh, that's outdated. Nobody does that. Who lives like that? You know, it's so legalistic. It's so strict. It's so, you know, I wouldn't want to blah, blah. What are we doing when we do that? I think we're distrusting the goodness of the giver. If God gives us a command, it's not to restrict us. It's not to punish us. It's not to see to it that nobody in God's family has fun. If he gives us a command, it's for our good. It's always for our good. If we truly believed in the goodness of the giver, I think our relationship to things like the commands of God, the laws of God would be totally different. So I think when Jesus says, who among you, if your children ask for a hot dog, gives him a snake? Like, who would do that? I think that's what he's saying to us. There's so many things in the, in the life of God that we dodge, that we try to get away from. And the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, do, do I trust the giver? If God's saying, stop, don't do, you need to fix this in your life. Do I trust where this is coming from? Do I trust the goodness of God? If I truly trust the goodness of God, then I want this conviction. I need this conviction. So here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell you that if you read this verse, you can ask for whatever you want and you're going to get it. But I'm also not going to do that. I know it says that, but I'm not going to do that either. We're just going to leave this hang there in the tension that Jesus gave it. And I'm going to encourage you to ask and seek and knock. I'm going to encourage you to look into your heart at those deepest desires, no matter how crazy, no matter how you know, out of your league, no matter what's in there, take those to God. Ask for them boldly. Be a child. And just say, God, I want to tweet. Be, be bold with this. And here's why. This is the important part. 
Here's why I think it's important to ask and seek and knock. Here's why I think no matter what it is, no matter how absurd it seems, you have to take this stuff to God is because it doesn't go away. It's in there. You want a better job and, you're, and you pray for a better job, but then you get caught up in the, man, there's so many people that would be thrilled to have just my job, you know, and, and you know, does God even answer prayers like that? Shouldn't I just be content with what I have? You know, I think all those things are good, but that desire for a job is still in there, a better job. It's still in there. It's still eating away at you. And if you allow that to happen, if you allow those desires of your heart to just sit in there and you just keep ignoring them because, oh, God doesn't answer prayers like that or that would be too bad. I can't ask God for that. Like there's starving people in Africa and, you know, God really needs to tend to them and not, you know, my needs and desires. Then that thing becomes a hunger. And then we wind up back where Esau was. This is what God is... This is what Jesus is saying when he's saying, ask, seek, and knock, is there's a place you bring that stuff. There's a great picture of this in 1 Corinthians 7 where um, Paul's talking about marriage and, and he's like, I wish everybody could be single like me. And there's kind of a key verse, I don't want to get too theological, but he says in, a, in, this, in this present distress, you know, and I think we've got to make sure we hang on to that. They were under heavy persecution and I think there are times when it's like, hey, if you can stay single, probably better. You don't want to leave a widow, kids behind. So in this present distress, yes, if you can stay single, do it. That's not the biblical norm. It's not the cultural mandate. We don't want to get into the deep theological stuff. So, but so he's like, if you, if you can't stay single, probably good. But if, if not, it's better to marry than to what? Burn. It's better to marry than to burn. It's, it's better to marry than to leave that desire in there unanswered and let it consume you and to burn. I love the metaphor of fire. I think it's the absolute best metaphor we could have for these things, this passion in us, because a fire can be put in a nice stone or brick box and heat your house and look pretty if you sit there and roast marshmallows on it. In the right boundaries, a fire is beautiful, powerful. What happens if I just light a fire right here? Probably the building goes down. This thing's like 100 years old. Like I'm sure this place is dry as a bone. Like it just, the whole place torches, right? Out of control, out of its place. And fire is super dangerous. We all watch the big wildfires in Colorado and California every single year. Like it's, and they're talking about the damage that fire can do. And yet every single one of us heat our house with it. In the right context. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 7 is, is if you've got a fire... Put it in the right place. Because if you don't, if you don't take that fire and put it in the right place, you don't put it in the right boundaries, you don't put the right constraints around that fire, it'll burn the place up. I think that's what Jesus is saying with our, with our heart's desires here. Ask, seek, knock. Bring those to God. Let Him put them in the right boundaries. Because you can try to ignore them. You can try and say, no, I don't want to pray for that. I, that's too nuts. I don't want to go to God for that. But that fire will consume you. It'll burn you up. So I would say dream big. Ask for crazy stuff. Seek for crazy stuff. 
Go to God with the, with the wildest desires of your heart. Knock on the doors of heaven and don't quit. And if you've done that, if you, when you go to God and you ask God for ev- like just for your dreams, the things that are just burning inside of you and you take those to Him and say, this is what I want more than anything else in the world, God. And you haven't heard an answer yet. You know what I say to that? Bubbles. Anybody know about the bubbles? Apple came up with that word. Those are the Apple bubbles. Anybody got iMessenger? Anybody use iMessenger? What if I put it that way? Anybody know what the bubbles are? Down here in the corner? Nobody? Right. Those are the bubbles. If you chat, like Facebook Messenger, or if you iMessage or any of those things, those things will drive you crazy because you'll message somebody, they'll show you that they got it, and then their bubbles will start. And you sit there like, come on. Come on, come on. And then the bubbles go away and you're like, what? And then they come back. You're like, okay, there's the bubbles. And the bubbles can make you nuts because you know they read the message and you know they're typing and you're like, and then you get like four minutes of bubbles and they come back with K. You're like, I know you said more than that. What did you erase? Like, right? The bubbles, they make us crazy. I don't know what else you call them. Apple calls them bubbles. I had somebody once where they, they messaged me and I started to message back and I got busy and blah, blah. And when I got back to my phone, it said, dude, I know you're there. And I was like, hey, too far. Like, that's like invasive. That's weird. You know, then I started to not like the bubbles. But this verse is Bubbles. Because it says, everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, it will be opened. So if you've done that, and you haven't received, and you haven't found, and it hasn't been opened, bubbles. Yeah, you just wait. You just sit there and stare at bubbles. Because the verse says it's going to happen... You know He's answering. You know He is. You can see the bubbles. You know the verse tells us He's typing. This is one of those places the amen would just like... There it is. Yeah. So, you know He's answering. Because He says He is. We're just waiting on bubbles. Now, this is my favorite part. Because this is the next line. It would be awesome if I could wrap the sermon up there. I'd love to wrap the sermon up on bubbles. That would be so cool, but that's not where it stops. Because then he goes immediately into this verse. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I'm so excited about this. This is awesome. So, that first word, therefore. Normally, we don't even put this in a pericope. What do we call this? The golden rule. There it is. We all know it. like, I know there's a name. The golden rule. We call this the golden rule. And we usually pull it out all by itself. Whatever you want. People to do for you, do for them. Like, and it's pretty obvious when we talk about this and we pull this verse completely out. But that first word is huge. Therefore. That means this ties to something previous. Oh man, this is one of the best bait and switches. This is so awesome. So what Jesus is saying is, find your passions. What do you really want? What do you really want from God? What, is, what are you dying for God to do for you? 
take those to God. Ask, seek, knock. Give those to Him. And then, now that you know what you really want, go do it for somebody else. Oh, that's so good. Do you see it? Those go together. The ask, seek, knock. Therefore, go and do unto others. So if you're praying for money, give. And I'm not doing the, if you want, if you'll sow this seed. I'm not doing that. I'm just, it could be a dollar. And it doesn't, I don't want you to think I'm asking for money for this. It doesn't even have to be here. Go find a beggar and give him a buck. But if you're asking for money, then give. Like if you now know what you want. You now know and what you want, go do unto others. If you're wanting to advance at work and you're wanting to, to, to do better in your business, find somebody and help them do better in their, at work. Find somebody else and help them succeed. If you want peace in your life, if your life is chaotic and you want peace, you know what you do? You find a family with young kids and you babysit so they can have a night out. Like, I want peace. Let me give you some peace. You go have peace. Whatever you want. So it's both sides. It's find what you want. Don't give up on what you want. Don't let those burn you up. Bring those to God. Ask, seek, knock. And while you're in the bubbles, go do that for somebody else. I'm preaching way better than you're saying amen. That's all I'm saying. That's all. I'm kidding. Now it didn't mean anything. Now I had to ask for it. My wife will do that. Do I look good? Y'all, you look amazing. Now I had to ask for it. It didn't mean anything. No. Once you identify what you really want, you, you, now, know, you now know your calling. You now know what you need to be doing. You now know where you need to be acting and moving in other people. And this isn't, this isn't like a formula. This isn't something we do like it's a, if, it, like if I do these things, then I'll make sure and get what I, this isn't something, this is about virtue. This is about the gospel changing our heart. This is about when you come to grips with your desires, the desires of your heart, it will build compassion and empathy for other people with similar desires. This isn't about, I, if I'm going to get money, I've got to give money. But that's not it. This is now that you know what the desperation of not having enough is, now that you know what lack feels like, you look at somebody else and go, man, I don't have much, but I have a dollar, and a dollar would change your world, so I'm going to give you a dollar because I just got to, like, I know what it feels like to need that, so I'm going to help you. Like, I, if, if you know, I've, I, I don't feel like I understand the Scripture very well, but I know I know more than these kids, so I'm going to go teach a kid's class so that I can help somebody else get deeper in the Scripture, hoping that it also draws me deeper in the Scripture. It's, it's, that, it's that understanding that if I, what, if I have this desire, someone else does too. And maybe they're in a place where I can help them with theirs as I pray for someone. And then hopefully, this is like multi-level marketing, hopefully someone up here is praying for more and they choose to sow into me and God uses the body to bless itself all by this, this whole chain starts with us coming to grips with our deepest desires. And a lot of us don't like to do that. A lot of us feel like that's selfish or that's, you know, a lot of us feel like that, that I don't want really to like to focus on me and I'm this way. I hate praying for myself. I pray for other, I love praying for other people. I love when the prayer requests come in because I'm like, sweet, I got something to pray for. 
I'm not good at praying for myself, but this is this passage is saying, and I've been experimenting with it this week, and it it is hard at first. If you're not used to that, to go, God, it would be awesome if you would just do this for me. Like in it, and then you start noticing, and I want this, and I want that, and get me a tweet. Like when you, you know, you really start getting into it. But what that does is it it creates a space, and then I start looking for other people with the same needs, and the body takes care of itself. So this is not a quarter we can drop into a vending machine. This is the gospel working on the inside of us, starting at the place of our deepest desires. I feel like Jesus says, if you'll start there. So I'd never tell you, if you want to give, if you want to receive, give us an offering. That's never what I'm saying. If you feel like that even a little bit, then take your money and give it to someone else. I don't want you to even feel that. That's not what I'm saying. Like, but I am saying give it. I am saying if you want to receive, you've got to give somewhere. You've got to start to sow if you want to reap. All right. How do we respond to this? That's Obi. First, we're careful not to take our desires elsewhere. We've got to watch that. Where are you, where are you going to feel your satisfaction? Because if your satisfaction is not in God, it will consume you. It will consume you. Jesus said you'll get trampled. Second, we bring him to God like a child, like Obi. That's him. We had a, a, a story recently. Elijah was downstairs and uh, got caught up, missed dinner. I think it was on purpose, but because he comes up a little after dinner and goes, uh, hey, I'm going to run to Freddy's. I, missed, I forgot to come up for dinner. And I think he just wanted Freddy's, personally. Whatever. I'm not judging. Um, but he goes to walk out the door, and Obi heard him from the kitchen and comes running out the door. And Elijah was almost in his truck when Obi hit the front porch. And he goes, Elijah! And he calls him nut. Nut! We all call him nut. Nut! And Elijah stops and goes, what? And he goes, when you go to Freddy's, bring me fries. <laughs> and... Elijah goes, I get down. Elijah goes, maybe, and gets in the car. And Obi comes walking in and shuts the door. He said, maybe. <laughs> I said, what's that mean? Because it means he's getting me fries. <laughs> Apparently, we need to work with the vocabulary a little bit. But, but uh, and here's what's awesome about Obi and the fries, is he had no thought. Obi doesn't even really like fries that much. He just knows fries goes with Freddy's. But he also knows if he asks Elijah for something, he's going to get something. It may not be fries, it may be candy. If it's not candy, it's an ice cream sandwich. Elijah will bring him ice cream sandwiches. Sometimes it's like a soda or a sugar drink. Um, he'll even give him like a... It started out with him not liking the cookies in his lunch, and so he would just save them. When he'd get home, he'd give them to the little ones. But now the little ones are so used to it, even if it's a cookie he likes, he doesn't eat it because he wants to be able to give it to the little ones when he comes home. Um, that's when everybody goes, ah, No. Um, he grumbles about it. You don't have my cookies, so he, he loses all the reward. But anyway, um, but here's what I love about it: is Eli- Obi is not concerned with asking because he knows the heart of the giver. He knows if I ask Elijah for something, it's going to be good. It may not be what I ask. It may not be fries. I don't know. But if it's not fries, it's going to be candy. If it's not candy, it's going to be ice cream. But I know the heart of the giver. 
And so I don't hesitate to ask Him because whatever He gives me is going to be amazing. There it is. He knows that nut gives good gifts. Obi doesn't even question it. He knows that Elijah gives good gifts. And so Elijah is the one I go to to ask. Elijah is the one I seek from. Elijah is the one to bring me. He's the one to bring my hunger to. He had just eaten. He wasn't hungry even a little bit. But that's beside the point. Our desires may seem selfish to us. They may seem completely out of our league. They may seem crazy. But we can trust the heart of the giver. We can trust if I take this stuff to God, whatever I get is going to be good. Because he's a good giver. And I would rather have... Here's what's crazy. This is what I've been thinking all week. I would rather ask for something... I've got to do this visually so we all get it because a lot of us went to public school. So the math isn't going to be strong. But a lot of us, like, I'd rather ask for this and have God say you can only handle this rather than ask for this and have him say yes. I'm going to do that again because nobody got it. I would rather ask for this and have God say you can only handle that than only ask for this and have him say yes. This might feel like it's a little bit of a no, like I didn't get everything I wanted. But I can promise you, if you only ask for this and he says yes, you'll have no idea. You guys ever do that when you're bartering? And, and somebody's like, uh, you know, $200. And you're like, I'll give you 100 They go, yes. And you're like, ugh, should have went 75 Like, you ever do that? Like, because if they say yes too fast, you don't know where the line was. Like, you don't know how far down they would have gone. I can promise you with God, if you ask for this... Whatever you get is going to be good. That's going to be exactly what you can handle. There was that story in the Old Testament where he goes, like, I'm going to take you in the land and we're going to claim a ton of land and blah, 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 but I'm not going to give it to you all at once because the wild animals would come and attack you and it would get completely overgrown and out of control. So we're just going to leave it in the hands of the enemy for a minute, let them prune it and keep it the wild animals away, blah, and we'll take it incrementally. What you can handle. So ask for the whole enchilada and trust God to give you the portion you can handle right now. Man, I could do this all night. Above all, don't overthink it. Don't overthink this passage. Don't get caught up in the debate and what it means and just know that I can promise you it means this. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask God for stuff. Maybe it goes deeper. Maybe there's more in there. But I don't want to tangle with that. Because I feel like Jesus is intentionally leaving it simple. He's talking about kids. Ask, seek, and knock. I'm going to leave you with this, and then we're going to do our benediction. Have <clears throat> you ever seen those memes where it's like, this is Bob. Bob can post on Facebook without getting in fights. Be like Bob. Well, this is mine. This is Obi. Obi can ask and seek and knock. Be like Obi.